0: everyone welcome to yorkshire gamers a big war games podcast and episode 21 and this is uh, being recorded on the morning of the 18th of february 2022 for release later on today the big interview today is with jerry elliott or jed elliott of uh, war games holiday center fame and uh, we talk about the holiday center and also his uh, new setup the situation room um, which has uh, battalions with uh, 140 150 plus figures in and uh, is proper big gaming proper big gaming old style Um, so i look forward to that but before we go to the interview a little bit of housekeeping as always Interesting news, or brilliant news I would uh, say, is that Yorkshire Gamers Podcast has been nominated in the Caesar Awards for 2022, which is absolutely amazing, and I want to thank everyone who, uh, nominated me. Um, I did do a bit of begging on here and I'm, I'm not afraid I'm, uh, I'll, I'll beg when required. Uh, but, uh, if you were one of the people that nominated me, I'd like to thank you very, very much. Um, this podcast has been going for, uh, about a year, more of that in a minute. And, um, it's, I think it's a really, really amazing thing to have achieved to get that nomination, um, after, Such a relatively short space of time compared to some of the other podcasts. We are up against two other podcasts, and uh, I'd like to say they are friends of the show. Um, Two Fat Lardies, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of Rich Clark. Uh, Nick Skinner has been on here, and uh, Sydney Roundwood, so uh, good luck to those guys. And uh, the other nomination is for The Plastic Practice. Crack Podcast guys and Ken and Dom from uh, that show were on here on the last episode, so well done to all of those, and uh, may the best show win. It's also, would you believe, nearly a year. The twentieth of February, twenty twenty-one, was the launch day of the pilot episode of this podcast. Um, shortly followed by episode one about a week later, um, but. We're a year old, and uh, we're definitely still in nappies, and we're definitely still throwing a tantrum every time thing goes wrong, and uh, spitting our dummy out when we haven't got the food we want, but we are a year old, uh, so... That is uh, fantastic. And uh, there's lots of uh, things planned for the future, lots of shows booked in. I've got loads of guest ideas, so I really don't think uh, we're going anywhere other than uh, producing a episode at least once a month, sometimes twice a month. And that's all down to the support and the number of people who listen to this podcast. Um, and this clearly f- uh, support out there being nominated for the award so uh, so thank you once again with that nomination uh, we've got a few new listeners I've, I've noticed downloads going up um over the last couple of weeks on old episodes so uh, if you're new to this podcast uh, welcome you're very welcome and uh, i thought i'd just be uh, useful to point out that um, how the release schedule uh, is supposed to work. Um, It's supposed to be second and fifth Fridays of every month but we've slipped on to the third Friday of the months during the course of 2022 uh, just with work pressures etc. But the thing to just be aware of is that this podcast is released on Podbean And Podbean is an audio-only format. So it comes out on there and it automatically gets uploaded to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, TuneIn, all those sorts of major podcast hosts. And then, just before the next episode comes out on audio only, then this is released on YouTube. And I will um, just put some background photographs uh, relating to my guest up in the background. And it's exactly the same recording. There's no uh, omissions or additions. And that appears on YouTube uh, normally week before or a couple of weeks before the next episode is released on audio only. So you get your first chance of listening to it on Podbean, and then some people prefer listening to it on YouTube, but there is a slight delay of getting to the episode on there. So that's enough uh, chuntering on for me for now. Um, over to our interview with uh, with Jerry And... Um we did have a little bit of a delay on the uh, internet connection between the two of us. We're not a million miles away. We're probably about 40 miles away from each other. And uh, the internet connection wasn't brilliant. Um, but that's kind of led to a couple of places where we were over talking each other without realizing. So I've had to cut a few bits out here and there. Um, so hopefully it hasn't sport your enjoyment too much. Again, the sound quality, um, Again, it was down to the internet, any um, issues with sound levelling, etc. But it was a lovely interview. It was great to have... uh jerry on the show um he really is one of the um leading proponents of the big game and uh, 17 years as a host at the war games holiday center and uh, his own massive war games table with massive units now so sit back get yourself a cup of yorkshire tea and uh, put your feet up and uh, enjoy the next couple of hours and i'll see you at the end of the interview Well, welcome to the interview section of the Yorkshire Gamer podcast, and we can say for the first time ever, the Caesar Award-nominated podcast. Uh, so, today I'm pleased to say that my guest is a name that regular listeners to this show will be very familiar with. This show is all about the larger war games table, and this guy is an expert in a 28mm horse hair In fact, if there was any justice in the world, his name would be an anagram of big game. We've got the War Games Holiday Centre to talk about, uh, and my guest's latest monster gaming project as well, the Situation Room. If you haven't seen it on the internet, it's a joy to behold for, for us big gamers. So if I tell you that my guest uses infantry battalions of 72 to 108 figures, cavalry regiments of 144 figures, you'll know that we're not messing about with any of that skirmish game rubbish here. So I'd like to give a really big warm welcome to jerry elliott hi jerry thank you very much good afternoon well it's it's lovely to speak to you we had a little chat before we started and this is your first ever podcast isn't it, it certainly is um you've not even been invited before never never been invited to well I, i'm amazed by that mate because um to many of the people who listen to this they have fond memories of of the war games holiday center and yourself and your name comes up quite a lot. So um, you haven't been forgotten, mate. That's the main thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure
1: that's a good thing or a bad thing.
0: <laughs> well, the first thing that we like to do on this podcast before um, people get too comfortable is we like to do what we call the four minute challenge. And that's just for you to go and summarize your war history from when you were a young lad up to today but try and do it in four minutes, and then we'll talk about the interesting bits later on. So how does that sound? Okay, we'll give it a go. Lovely. Um, and um, as you get towards the end of your four minutes, the countdown clock will come in, if you if you know that show from Channel 4. Okay. Um, and then if you, if you go too far, D.I. Regan from The sweden will he'll tell you to shut it. So. Uh, okay. <laughs> so off you go, mate. I'll press the button now for your four minutes.
1: Probably my memory starts at about five years old, it was the officer from the British Paratrooper Airfix box, along with the sentry from the World War I British box, an old clapped-out dinky toy that had no wheels, which I glued on the wheels from an old 88 tractor kit from Airfix. Oh, wow. I was five. So it was Airfix toys until I was about 11. Uh, then Hartlepool War Games Club. Went there for about six months with a friend called Brendan Brown. Who I still wargame with over that's nearly 50 years we've been wargaming now with more. Stopped going there, went back about 15, 16, then uni. And at uni, I painted my first army, Han Chinese and Mongol mm. in 28. Then really, it's 1981 when I saw an advert in military modeling for the wargame Solidity Saint everyone by Peter Gilda.
2: Yeah.
1: Took the plunge, came down here. Ironically, it was nearly the last time I ever decided to go. Because two main groups of people turned up. There was one group that came to have a good time, beer, chat, game. And of the other group, some of them, they were just there to win. And so that set a bit of a possible quandary. Um, Peter, in his own way, sorted that out quite... uh, Some would say judiciously, some would just say arbitrarily. But (laughs) I came back, and that was the start of many, many, many years, from about 1982, I think it was, thinking about it. Then in... 1992, uh, Mike was having, having an issue because in 1987, Mike, uh, Peter Gilder sold it to Mike Ingham. Yeah. 1992, Mike had a personal issue going on. Um, we had something happen in family life that changed the direction of what we were going to do. The, the, in a nutshell, it meant that I approached Mike to see if he wanted a business partner, came down to Scarborough, the deal was done. And then I ran it for 17 years mm. um, co-owned it, co-run it with Mike for 17 years. And then unfortunately, in 2011, cancer caught him. And in essence, the previous year, he bought me back out. And then mm. with all of those funds, I redid a new room, but in 10 mil rather than 28 mil. And the War Games Centre went to stock. So in a nutshell, there you go.
2: Well,
0: that, that that's super to get all that history in uh, two and a half minutes without the need for uh, the countdown music or Di Regan is a is a good good job there, Jerry. So well done, mate. <laughs> some people some people have a lot less to say and go on for a lot longer. So you, you. Well, my background is
1: science. I I tend to write what I need to write and never any more.
0: Oh, that's what I, that's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. Um, are you um, are you from the area? Are You a Yorkshire lad? No, I was born in Hemel
1: Hempstead when I was eight years old. Moved to Hartlepool and then from yeah. Hartlepool at 18 went to uni in Manchester. Uh, got my honours degree and my doctorate in Manchester. Worked with a company for nine years, starting off as a senior RD scientist, head of operations. Got out of the rat race, came down here and did war games as the career.
3: Yeah.
1: Oh, I see
0: well who who wouldn't want that that sounds like a perfect um, life in essence i at the age of 35. i like that's what i like to hear that's what I, i've missed that by 20 years already but there we go <laughs> so congratulations on that um when you were growing up then who were who were your hobby heroes who were the people that you kind of looked at and influenced how you would game in the future
1: There weren't any um the main thing that happened was the War Games Club, because uh, that got me into Ancients. The thing about Ancients is that it seemed to be big enough because there was no one at that club that really did a lot of Napoleonics. I remember two guys who did WRG, but it always seemed to be the same thing. The Brits turn up, the French turn, the French win and they all put the soldiers away.
2: All right. <laughs> so that,
1: it never caught on to me at that that point in time with Napoleonics. So it, tended, it started off with Ancients, but there was no one individual until I saw a military Saw the adverts of military modelling, came down, met Peter, nice guy, and it was generally just enthusiasm went round everyone, everyone doing it, and, and it was a big thing you could do. So that's started me getting the magazines and seeing it that way. So Peter was what got me into it in that in that sense. See so the scale of everything, um, it was always available, it was easy to ring up, find a slot on a weekend if that's what you wanted to do. So that's, but apart from that, no.
0: So well, I mean, Peter Gilder's been a a common theme on here, and um, I'm not sure if you know Robbie Roddis from. He's from the northeast. I did an episode with him. He's nice. done, yeah, he's done a lot of work as Robbie in putting together like a, an online museum for Peter with lots of documents and stuff. Um, so, from your what was the what was the thing that gravitated people towards Peter? He sounds like a, I never met him, unfortunately, but he sounds like a charismatic guy. Me. The first thing is is that
1: um, when he ran a game he knew he knew the rules back to front he' was also one of the best gamers and those two things are really a prerequisite for anyone who wants to run a war game center yeah um, and so therefore if you got stuck you didn't have to go through a rough the rules to find out what to do you just stuck your hand and said, excuse me please or what happens in this situation yeah and he would tell you what happens and you tended to remember it because you're going through it with him because you asked the question yeah so that's that's generally how it would go and then it was after a few years that he started the connoisseur business and on the sunday afternoon around about two o'clock and everything had stopped he'd bring out all the figures at the end and people would go along with the orders and then he would go away into the, into the garage as it was then yeah. and cast up yeah. the figures for people to take away so i yeah. always remember
0: because i remember i think uh, when i speak to, spoke to pete morby he had he had memories memories of going into peter's little workshop and um, learning how to to sculpt figures um was that anything you ever did you ever think of uh, putting no. your hand to that no the other thing
1: i do do remember now you mentioned pete pete would turn i remember him turning up twice the two occasions yeah. the second one second occasion follows on from the comment on the first one and pete would turn up to say with a unit and i remember him turning up with a unit of line lancers. i can't remember there were posts they had capsules yeah they had capster, beautifully painted and he was offering them to peter to buy and Peter got what you would call a bargain bargain basement price. Him <laughs> and that was the sort of thing Peter was good at. But I remember it because probably only Peter could have sort of done that. Yeah. Um, but I, know I'm, I don't know if it was that unit, but he, Pete did sell him one unit, albeit for a good price. But then Pete, I think, sold it on for at least double the price.
0: Yeah, I think Pete mentioned that, and he also kind of suggested that there was a bit of um, War Games figures for staying at the centre payment going yes. on as well. Yes. Yeah, we used to do that as well. People would turn up, um, one lad would – the way we would work it is that
1: any money that we were getting in, uh, we were happy for figures. Yeah. Um, generally, just play your own hotel, and yeah. then there's no transaction. You turn up for a game, oh, by the way, here's a few figures – Thank you very much. Play your game. Play your own hotel. Um, so there was one lad. He he still I still war game with him, but he would turn up with a unit. It was always a Russian line infantry unit,
2: hmm. and,
1: and that was his weekend.
2: Oh,
0: Grant, sounds like sounds like a good method of uh, of uh, currency war games we figures. It with, we did it with lots of people.
1: We did it with because, lots of people. Was
0: was one was one Polish guard lancer? How many Russian infantry was that worth? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, in, that time, in those times, the infantry were easy to paint because with yeah. the cavalry, uh, then you're going to, you're talking about the realms of D- Doug Mason, where yeah. the, the epitome of the figures were all uh, manipulated so that they're all all individualized. Mm. Um, he would have cut all the lances off, he would have cut the hands off, resoldered them all, and the rest of it. And the paint jobs that he, he did and still does were exquisite. Um, so it turned out to be the cavalry because that was a harder deal to do. And there were a number of people who who could get, who could copy him, yeah, as yeah. opposed to do it yourself. So uh, even now, there's Neil Shear down; still not around. Can copy his work, and yeah. you can put the two together, and you'll you'll not distinguish it. Dave Ducketty's another one, another poor lad who was young. Just passed away this year, Steve Scott. I mean, he he could do the same, but mm. unfortunately, he just passed away tragically. Uh, but yeah, but Caffrey was always the more difficult to paint. But in terms of doing the animation there's still very few people who can work with the soldier it. and i know that doug mason fruit has taught uh, dave doherty went over there a few times to pick mm. up all of tricks in the trade because dave doherty still does a lot of work with things like sudan and other things
0: yeah he's um i know dave and he's he he, he does love a camel does our dave he, he's, he uh, it, <laughs> he's certainly the premier camel painter in the uk i would suggest well, oh, I still talk
1: to Carlo because he does Sans Sudan. So Dave yeah. does that. He's got the big layout. Yeah. He was inspired from Peter and Carlo was inspired. So, what Carlo did, he tried to get together all the information he could about the rules Peter used to use. And I saw some for him as well. And then he, he wrote them and then I edited it for him and then he published them. So, that's back in the domain.
2: Yeah, is that
0: Carlo Pagano? Is oh, it the? Yeah. yeah, he's 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 on my oh. list. He's on my list to come on the show. So uh,
1: he's um, well worth it, big Aussie.
0: Yeah, because when we when we have the when we have these chats at the start of the show, this is where the names come up, and this is where your name has come up on a number of occasions. Um, so, what's your with your gaming before the holiday centre then? That was at the Hartlepool Club then. Two How three you, years,
1: but so I've probably finished that in. Seventy four, possibly mm. into seventy five. And that was the last time I wore game now.
0: And have you ever gone back to club gaming or has it always been your own thing?
1: No, always been my own thing.
0: Shows and shows and putting displays on, has that ever been your your thing?
1: Displays no, because it's it's a lot of hard work for no real reward. Um yeah. and the other thing, you have to be a bit mindful that you take all your wares down. There is always conscious you don't want anything unsavoury to happen with someone thinking, oh, all of this stuff is available. Yeah. The main good thing you have for protection is that they can't use the stuff anywhere else in public because it's just so recognisable. Yeah. And that's the same now, even if the War Games Solidity Centre and lots of people's personal collections, you could, they could never be used because everyone just recognises where they came from.
0: Those signature units, isn't there? The, the, the Zastro, Karas right. and... People like you—you you could never sell that, could you?
1: And, and style—I don't think there is anybody else still in the country doing it as madly as I'm doing, basing so many figures into a unit. I mean, you, the Austrian Hussars, for example, they're 192 troopers.
0: 100. Oh, well, I was un- underestimated you there. <laughs> underestimated
1: you. <Two> like squadrons.
0: <laughs> the Brits well, have just been finished. The British guard yeah. units—they're 160 men. Wow this is what we like to see. Well we'll chat we'll chat more um about your situation room stuff uh, towards the end of the show. Um uh, but what in in all the gaming that you've done um what would sort of boil down to I think I can guess your favorite period. Um but you've mixed around with scales. So what would, we'll start with your favorite period. What's your what do you love to game? Napoleon. Yeah. And what's the What's the drive behind that? What's the factors that make that the standout period?
1: It's a nice game of chess. The the variable, for me, it looks good. It's mm. got a nice feel. You've got big guns, little muskets, cavalry, mm. supposedly. But in terms of when you in your mind, when you're playing through how you do it, it to me, it's a good game of chess. You can actually mm. play, to some extent, you can play to the rules more often than not the more experience you get, you actually end up playing the player as well in terms of psychology. So when you've seen players many, many times over many, many years, you know what they're going to do, you know the, how, how they're going to do it, and so you yeah. react to it. And Napoleonics makes it easier to see that happen and bring it to fruition. Yeah. The other period, it's popular, World War II, less so, because too many things can go wrong. Even when you've done everything in your mind correctly, it can still go horribly wrong, So, but it works. But the key things I have always looked at was any period, there are two two ingredients it requires. One of them has to be exciting. Now, when I first came to Napoleonics, WRG sort of left me cold. It was everyone lined up, you rolled a D6, somebody said something, and that was it, packed the troops away. You played the grand manner, you got your your bucket of 64 dice (laughs) for your cavalry malleys, and that brings home the excitement bit. And then the next thing is, is that when the game's finished and guys are going away, you've won when they think they've actually played that battle. So you've suddenly, say you've put on the Battle of Waterloo, for example, afterwards they go away thinking in their minds that I've just fought the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah. And it was exciting. Then you can virtually guarantee out of all of those people, 80% of them will return to another game. And that's, that's how you do it. Chose the periods for me to do. So American Civil Wars, you're the one using fire and fury but fire and fury uh have to be changed they use a single DT d10 system i don't care what anyone says it doesn't work because yeah. you, get, you get too much of a variation you need to average it out there's a way we do that so they've been tinkered with and ironed out things the way i perceive it should be done and that's another one that you can make exciting the guys go away thinking yeah i fought that battle then they come back again
0: do you find the balance of the different elements of Napoleonics one of the things that makes it exciting? The fact that everything you don't have a... Um, like in American Civil War, for example, the infantry and, and the musket is, is king over the cavalry. Your cavalry's over there somewhere getting off its horse, firing its carbine. Whereas in Napoleonics, you've got that rock, paper, scissors thing with the elements involved. Yes, the the, the one thing...
1: I will say, though, is that all, most of my experience for all, many of those years was with In the Grand Manor. Mm. And the thing about In the Grand Manor is that it was very difficult to recreate certain specific uh, situations, like Plans would be a good one, mm. where you've, say, got Prussian land there throwing itself against a, a couple of guard units. What would happen there is, is that in the first round of the battle, first assault, the French guard will win. The problem after that is the French have lost numbers. Eventually, it becomes attritional. Mm. Now, when you go to another set of rules like Empire, Empire bring in this facility that says you do get brigades that can hold up whole divisions of course mm. through their quality. Yeah, and it, it did it in a slightly different thing. So I then went forward to what I do, and I try to marry those two aspects together. So now we can get a plants and wire, where you can have good quality troops, and it will hold out all day against poor quality troops.
0: Oh well, yes. yeah, that sounds good. The
1: differentiation of the quality you get brings in the colour bit. Plus, you can always vary it from game to game. So, in one yeah. battle, you can have Prussian land there with a morale of one, but if you fight in 1813 and defence as a homeland, you can give them a base morale of three, but mm. they still fight poorly as they are trained. So you have all that variation. So yes, but I do like.
0: Brilliant. Um, so a lot of the things that we talk about in the start, we're going to talk about in other sections. So um, the last bit I'm going to talk about in in the introduction is something I call the Venn diagram of war gaming, and that's you remember Venn diagrams. You're a scientist. You should uh, should remember them. Many 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 moons ago, <laughs> mainly with mathematics. Yeah. Well, all all I've done is um, so the, the four areas I've put it into are war gamer, painter, collector. An historian. And some people prefer to paint, some people prefer to game and they're not that bothered about the painting. Some people aren't bothered about history. It's just an interesting way of putting those various sectors together to see what your world games personality is like. So how would you see yourself fitting in those categories, the wargamer, painter, collector, historian?
1: I'm a war gamer. <laughs> as easy as that. Yeah, then what, what happens is is that when you as you say, over years you fight battles and you see the outcome, you think, well, okay, I fought this Battle of Waterloo and I've done this, this and this. You then read about the battle and you see things that are common and you see things that are different. And when you see things especially that are different, it makes you sometimes curious to, to dig a bit yeah. and then see how do the rules mimic it or is it something can't possibly happen in the rules and rest of it. So it was wargaming, but that drove me to do some historical reading to find out what went on so that i could modify how i viewed how the rules would do to mimic actually what appeared to be happening yeah painting i don't do i haven't got the patience Um, i haven't Mm. got the skill either so that doesn't happen Uh, collector not just for a means to earn no
0: I get the figures because
1: yeah. I want to use the figures.
0: So they, because um, I, I had this discussion with Simon Hall, who's written a, written a few wargames rules, and he was saying that he wasn't a collector, and he was sat in a room very similar to yourself with, I think he said about forty thousand figures behind him, and I, and I said, pull the other one, mate. You, you are definitely a collector with that that number of figures behind you. What what do you think? What would you say was your total? You know, how many figures have you got as a collection?
1: Over a hundred thousand, comfortably. Comfortably.
0: Yeah. So that, that, that it's difficult to deny the collector side of things there.
1: But it's not why you do it. I mean, it's yeah. When you it, if you it, when I stepped back when when I was started doing my own thing in a situation room, not too long a story, but it's a story. I, I ended up thinking I'm going to have 108 figures as opposed to the 36 for a standard French column, and mm. then worked on that basis. By the time you've got an army big enough to fight a decent battle, you've got 15,000 figures to begin with. Yeah, You then flesh it out to do anything you possibly want to, including all the Allies, then the French are nearly 30,000 figures. Then you do mm. the same for the Austrians, then the Russians, then you do the Prussians, then you do the British and all the Allies. They yeah. just
0: accumulate. And do you do, you, do, you do any, any type of gaming outside the larger game? Or it, it, you know, do you ever just hunker down on a six-by-four and, and try something on there? No. Or it, it, No, it's all the big stuff. No. That's if, we're I'll like. go where I'm
1: invited. If I've invited somewhere in the table smaller, then that's fine. Because it's all about then the social aspect. Because um, my wife has never war-gamed in her life, can not stand war game the rest of it. Mm. She's, the people I game with are as much her social friends as they are my social friends. So, We're just back from Vienna. So one guy you definitely want to get on is called Andy J. Q. That's his... Exciting. yeah yeah I've seen his setup. The reason we went there this time it was a, a tribute game to Herbert Gratz.: Yeah. Herbert Gratz is well known by lots and lots of people. died suddenly mm. and unexpectedly. I'd known Herbert for over 30 odd years, mm. and they have their own setup in Vienna. Yeah. It's a permanent setup. They, they leased the basement in the building. It's near the embassy quarter in Vienna. You just walk around the corner, you can see the guards outside the French embassy. Um, and we went there some of us from the UK went over um, celebrate Herbert, go and see his grave meet his family and play a war game, so we played Borodino out each evening, so these guys are friends, I've known two others of them I've known for nearly just as long at least 25 years Hmm. so yes, I get around when I'm invited and when I'm invited, I don't care what size the table, because it's 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 only part of it, it's not the the end of it, if you see what I mean.
0: So if there's, if there's free beer and a curry, then you're there, whatever it is. But that's
1: what we do here. So for example,
0: I've got a yeah. week starting Sunday. The guys from Austria are
1: coming over. Oh, brilliant. There are 10 of us gaming. They book the hotel. We arrange the restaurants. Uh, and will do all the lunches. And it's free beer. Excellent.
0: That's what we like and, to hear. That's pro- proper war gaming, that is. And for the Austrians, free port. Oh, my word. <laughs> you, you- You are spoiling them.
1: Yes, I like that. You know, notice what Tipple's saying, like. But they're good because when we were there, Andreas, he took us for the tour of the Wagram battlefield. And that's just an eye opener. When you see the real battlefields, it's a real eye opener as to what a war gamer perceives a real battle is and what you can Hmm. see and what you can't see. And the reality when you get there is completely two different things. And that's the historian part, because it makes you think I'm playing a game that says you do this, this and this. How do I know I can do this, this, and this? Mm. Should it be, you know? And so when you see these battlefields, it answers a lot of questions, but it also then raises more questions you never even thought.
0: And all that, all that drive for you then is to get a better game at the end of it or a more realistic exactly. game.
1: And immerse myself in the thought afterwards that, that I, was, I was there, I was fighting it, I was issuing orders and I couldn't control everything. It wasn't all in my control it helps with the immersion into the whole sort of hobby and experience for me
0: excellent well thanks very much for that jerry that'll do for our introduction and we'll just take a short pause in the recording and uh, we'll be back shortly to talk about your history with the war games holiday center okay uh, we're back for the second part and in this part Regular listeners and all know that we normally talk about big games, and uh, because Jerry does a lot of big games, uh, we're going to just talk about the War Games Holiday Centre in this section. And um, we, we talked about it briefly in in the introduction. Um, but what do you remember of the first time that you ever walked into Peter's War Games Holiday Centre? What was your what's your lasting memory of that? It was the size. It wasn't
1: primarily the length. It was the depth. Because in your mind's eye, you can imagine a table 24 foot long or whatever it is, but at the centre it was 28. But it's the, it's the depth that then starts to throw you, that you get, and it makes it look a lot, lot, lot bigger. Um, because then you think, well, OK, it's not literally just two armies lined up toe-to-toe to toe and they're going to have a little fight and one wins, one loses. The idea of reserves comes in, immediately strikes your head that you can have a first line, second line, however you want to think mm. of it. It was that it was just, just the size of it.
0: and had you seen had, had you seen anything comparable to that no at, at that never. time
1: never i'd even been to a war game show
0: so so it was quite a a, a large immersion into the hobby then yeah kind because
1: sp- I went, we went there and then i think the month after because it was held in the latter part of the year uh not, I was living in Oldham at that time and that's when Northern Militaire used to be. Yeah, I used to go to that. I went yeah. to Northern Militaire. Mm. That was the first war game show I ever went to. And then in terms of went to the show and saw the games, that then put more into perspective what Peter was doing in isolation down, down here, you see.
0: Yeah. And
1: nobody else could do it, anywhere near do
0: it. And what was that what was the table set up? Um just for people who might not be familiar, um, was it the the one that I was familiar with uh, where you are now or next door to where you are now with the central table and then like reinforcement tables either side
1: there were two tables if you two remember. tables
0: yeah there was yeah there is two.
1: everything um, everything was 27 foot long 28 foot long to keep having the extra foot yeah you walked <laughs> in, on on the right hand side facing his kitchen window was where the window line was yeah and that was a single three foot table then you had a three foot gap then you had a six foot width table then you had a two and a half foot gap, and then you had another six foot table.
2: Yeah.
1: And then behind that you had all the cupboards where all the figures were stored with no windows on that wall.
2: And when that- It was a garage.
1: It was a garage. It was a modular garage. Um, I've forgotten the name of that manufacturer, but that's how it was constructed.
0: And when, so that that moved, that was the, was it the Enchanted Cottage? It was at the
1: Enchanted Cottage, yeah. The
0: first one. So when did that move then to, Thornton LaDale or Flockton?
1: No, so Thornton LaDale first, and then it from Thornton ah, Ladale right. it moved to Can't chart the Cottage.
0: Right, okay. Well, well when was that move?
1: My I'm guessing, I think it was eighty one.
0: And uh, do you were you regularly attending then as a as a as a customer, if you like? From eighty two onwards. Yeah. And uh, how often would you go? Uh, first year I went once
1: second year I think okay. I did two weekends in a week, and then after that I was doing it was sort of three four weekends in a week every year every year
0: always always napoleonics yes perfect absolutely perfect. And i never
1: did i never did general week because i wasn't interested in doing italian wars i wasn't interested in doing american civil war wasn't interested in doing world war Two.
0: it was always napoleonics
1: it was always napoleonic
0: and did you um did you strap uh, a particular flag to your flagpole you uh, Always French, always British, always um, Austrians, or you, you'd mix around?
1: Used to like French, but after a few years, you didn't mind. Um, especially when Mike took over, Mike Ingham took over. It was whatever, balanced the sides. Yeah,
0: there's a bit of a rumour going around that Peter Gilder was a bit pro-French. and, um, oh, and they say that. Uh,
1: <laughs> but he never, inter- he never overtly interfered in the game.
2: He would, try, yeah. he would
1: come along, and try and wind you up by saying, oh, you've done that, you've lost. yeah. <laughs> you just look at peter and say oh okay well, you'd end up you, you didn't lose so no you took that with a pinch yourself did you peter uh, always right. claimed, peter always claimed that all he needed was two squashes of guard lances and the guard horse guard horse battery and he could roll up virtually any any position yeah
2: well, that's
0: a, good, good bullshit,
2: yeah.
0: But yeah <laughs> Well, there's some classic classic units there, definitely. So f- how did you go then from being um, a member of the public going longer and taking part in these games to becoming involved in it as a business?
1: Well, in 87, he sold it to my game because Peter wanted to concentrate on the figures because war games, war games, you, can, you can't make a living out of it. Anyone who's tried it has failed, always has yeah. failed, always yeah. will fail. You can't make yeah. the money. You have to take it on as as a hobby. And if you make some money out of it, great. But you don't do it going and think, I'm going to make a business out of it, because you can't. Even now, don't care who they are, you can't do it. Mm. Um, Mike Ingham was in a position where he was at 33, and he finished work. He had all the money Mm. he needed, bought Peter out, cash in his suitcase. There you go. Oh, nice. (laughs) So um, his initial view is completely different um and then he had a personal issue from sort of 91 92 and it, it dovetailed with uh my nephew's friend who was 12 effectively diagnosed with a brain tumor dead within five weeks we have a thing saying well, what are we doing with our lives mm. and it was my wife who suddenly suggested you know You've always thought this the idea about running a war game solidarity centre, why, why don't you see if it's possible? Knowing my situation, we, we talked to him, and, and that's how it started off. Mm. But knowing that it's never going to make money, so I did that, and my wife came down to work here because she's a speech therapist.
3: Mm. She
1: works with adults with learning disabilities. Um, so she started off with a job down in Bridlington, and we came over, lock-stop and bound, mm. just took the risk. Here we go, yeah. whoosh, jump. And that was
0: in so, December 1992. Sometimes those decisions are the best ones that you can make, aren't they? Yeah. Did you know Mike yeah, before me. then? I knew, from, I knew the first
1: time I met him was the year he was buying it off Peter. And that was the very, very last game Peter ever did. And that's when I met him. And it was the Battle of Salamanca. Mm. I remember mm. that. And bizarrely,
0: um, also Mark Freeth was there, who's now got the War Games holiday centre. Yeah, Mark's been on the show as well uh, in in the past, um, so we've we've got our full collection of war games holiday centre people. So <laughs> it's like one of those sticker albums that you used to get as a kid with the football players in. Yeah, I was here. <laughs> I was here. <laughs> so when you when you did get involved then as a business, what was your sort of day to day involvement with the centre?
1: Oh, we're just equal business partners. Uh, Mike's interest would be possibly setting the game up and the rest of it I got interested in doing little bits of terrain, so which you still down at uh, Basingstoke at least half a dozen or more um, I took a, I didn't say I took over because it was my interest, the buildings that are down, down there which are largely mixed all buildings, certainly in mm-hmm. the World War II and most of the was through a relationship I got going with mixed to get all of that done and that's what I used to do. I used to build around it when funds were available. It was padding out the extra terrain we needed, that type of thing. Because that was my interest. Mike's happy as Larry because it's getting done and he can so we were both able to do what we wanted to do. And we didn't so we never actually ended up stepping on anybody's toes because we just did what we wanted to do um you never sort of sat there and thinking oh you know i've done 20 hours this week and he's only done it never came up it just wasn't of no interest and that's the reason it worked so well for 17 years is that you Mm. you did it because you wanted to do it it's for fun it's it's because you like seeing the
0: hobby and we made some money out of it so that was like Mm. a side issue you see what i mean so what would, you do, what would your role be on, on a weekend then when you've got gamers in or a week when you've got gamers in? Are you, are you kind of the, the umpire, the genial host? The How did you kind of fit in?
1: Well, the umpire. So uh, probably for the first... Normally on the Friday night, what happened was we'd meet them at the hotel, have an evening meal, then come out. For about three years, Mike and I did that. His wife, Margaret, would come along for about... After that, it tends to be more me because Mike also had another interest of playing bridge, so that was mm. fine. And then Saturday and Sunday, it would tend to be... On a Saturday, I'd probably get up first and go down. They'd all come in, get everything kicked off and the rest of it. And on Sunday, it would, Mike would turn up first. So I'd get, yeah. to get a line in over the weekend, I think. So what would happen is we'd both be there to go and be off. Mike would say, oh, I was going to do something. Fair enough, After about an hour and a half. He'd come back down. I'd nip off for an hour. So there's always an umpire there.
0: And did you... Did you- kind of miss playing the games when you were umpiring. Yeah. Did you You ever
1: sort of you're dying to sort of say to someone, don't do that. Please don't do that. No, don't do that. No, no, no. You're about to you're about to push defeat from the jaws of victory. No, don't, no, 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 no.
0: Don't do that. but you didn't. Did you ever did you ever take a crafty cavalry corps if somebody didn't turn up? Yes. Oh, excellent. That's what I like to hear.
1: But then you, to, to make it fair, you would have to actually um, insist on orders as to what you were supposed to do. Yeah. So there was a Wagram, in fact, where they said I, that I had to play uh, Davout on the French left, me knowing that two Austrian corps are going to come on its flank immediately. So you ask for sp- specific orders of what the task is. Yeah. And then you just carry it out. Now, when when the when the trap is sprung, if I can extricate myself from the trap, then fair enough. But you mm. don't, I don't pre it by saying I know that's going to happen, so I'll, I will artificially do it. So you have to play the character that you're supposed to be doing to do mm. it. Um, but most times, if you were doing it, you would try and do it so you were shuffling troops at the back, so they could yeah. do the fighting. Uh, this reserve corps going over there, so you uh, yeah. you might move to figures for them. Make sure they haven't forgot to move, and let them do the fighting. So most of your time, if you did it, you would be doing that.
0: Yeah. And how did you? I always find this interesting. People who've done wargaming as as a full time thing, have. As, did you ever lose the enjoyment of it? Because many people have that the hobby is something that they go to after work, etc., to release steam. Does no. it ever become a grind? It was always, no the the boyhood dream that came true the hobby
1: would never come in aggr- a grind there'd be certain in, individuals that I was lucky could potentially push buttons to sort of wind you up a bit but funny enough it used to be Mike that it would break first before me um
0: right in the
1: 17 <laughs> years we worked together it only really, really happened twice
0: and did, did you find in general then that the um that the people who came to the War game center were as we, we talked earlier on about your first experience, were they from that come and enjoy the game and have a have a good time kind of game or more of the Majority. competitive winner.
1: Majority. But if you find a competitive one, it was dead, dead easy to sort that out. It was is the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> um and word would get round over the years which it did. Yeah. If someone was yeah. getting either aggressive or Say they're trying to be pushy because maybe their opponent isn't not fully aware of how things work. If they're two competent players, the one who is being bullish, you just sat next to him. Yeah, that's all you did. You just sat yeah. there, watch yeah. the game, watch the game. So yeah. they're not quite going right. So like, oh, don't don't forget that that happens. Don't forget. That's all <laughs> you do. And it's suddenly dawning, on them that if you calm down a bit and just do it. As you probably started off doing it i'll bugger off i'll go somewhere else yeah which if you don't I'll, I'll just sit there and watch everything that goes on watch yeah
2: and for the guy who
1: wasn't very good who had a good opponent and if you're sitting with him and saying get a piece of paper out and say in your mind's eye imagine these are big divisions or whatever how do you think you might try and do it Mm. And bizarrely, you sometimes find that on a piece of paper, they can draw out roughly what to do. So you just say, mm. someone, do the same
0: thing now and see if it works. So I think, I think a lot of people coming into the War Games Holiday Centre, certainly for the first time, um, can be overawed, can't they, with the, the volume of troops. If they're and- brand new, you don't leave them. You, what you do is you see yeah. them, you help
1: get the troops out. You get them. Normally you get them at least to the first firing phase. Then you come back on the second turn, making sure they're doing things are going OK. And you just sort of say, everything OK? Do you need, do you need anything confusing you? Do you need a lift? Or you, then you say, oh, I see he's, he's trying to drive in your right flank. Well, what are you going to do about What do you think you might do about that? And leave it at that. Leave it at that. Yeah, there's another wargamer, uh, Noel Bilson, which he might have, might have come up mm. in your conversation. Yeah. He hated it when I did that. <laughs> did he? Yeah, he'd be going forward with a full array of his core, ready to... Deal destruction to his opponent and I go and sit next to his opponent and say oh what's Noel doing over here <laughs> Noel's going with expletives and
2: yeah ooh, ooh.
1: how do you think you might manage to do that uh, Noel oh. goes I'm going to kill you I'm going to get a bottle and put you on the head <laughs> that's what you do but yeah. all just to keep everyone in it keep everything going no fight yeah
0: and did you, or I, I take it, you, you built on the collections of figures that you inherited? That the uh, War
1: Games So when we yeah. started, when by the time we'd finished after Mike and I finished after 17 years, at least two and a half times the number of figures there. The World War Two virtually didn't exist when we started, which was then significant, and the American Civil War didn't exist at all. Was... Units. We spoke cavalry units, but that was mm. it. There was nothing. That you could call, you, you couldn't really play a proper game with it, there was virtually nothing to do. So, all of that was completely done by Mike and myself,
0: and um, all brought in through external painters
1: commission the painting Com- commission. Because, yeah, again, see like, so one of the things I look, I look two things of Peter. Pick, there are people out there who want to do it because they quite love it as well, and you get a good price. Um, keep things simple. Yeah. If you have a look at the terrain, any terrain Peter made. The, the first thing is is simplicity. If it's not simple, Peter wasn't interested. It has to be simple. Can't do code too complex. And I, I picked that up off him immediately. So um yeah, that's so like if was Napoleonic figures, it was Pete Morby.
2: Yeah.
1: Um simply yeah. because it was um <laughs> what this you gonna is Pete. <laughs> I get the answer I wanted. It helped him, helped us. for uh American Civil War was First call. Cool. they did the same. World War Two, there were two companies. And I've forgotten their names now because there's one near in Hampshire somewhere, and there's one in near Manchester. One mm. in Manchester he used to do the, all the resin kits. He was the first one to do the nice detailed resin kits, but partly with metal bits.
2: Mm. So
1: if you got a Panzer IV, the, the chassis would be the resin, but the, the side skirts, if you wanted the H model, would be metal.
0: Yeah, I've forgotten its name now. But was that in twenty mil?
1: Uh, they were in 20s yes yeah,
2: so, yeah.
1: and the amounts of war 28 but everyone we went to um, it would be also okay I'd like a good discount and the retort with low-tech like, what sort of order do you want well well, let's start at a thousand figures and then see if that suits and that's how we would do it get a relationship going that way so afterwards yeah. Pete didn't care what size the order was we'd always get the discount because he'd had thousands of figures yeah. being sourced yeah. off it
0: I always like Pete's figures because although by today's modern standards, they're maybe not as detailed as um, something you can buy today in plastic or similar. There's a, there's, um, and it's hard to explain, there's a life about Pete's figures. The, 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 when, you, the, when, they're, when they're together in a unit across the table, they just look amazing.
1: Well, there's a, the jury's going to be out on uh, the plastic figures for uh, what, another 10 years? To see how the yeah. plastic comes up over over the over time, yeah. Does
0: it vitrify? Does it oxidize? What does it do? Because it of, it? some something that you'll be um, familiar with, and you might be able to tell us how you dealt with this. When 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 I put a big game on here at, at my place, there's always going to be flags that come off, arms that come off, heads that come off. Um, Repaired on a Monday morning. Was that was that Monday morning on the list every week? Yes. Repair weekends breakages. Always
1: repaired immediately. It never took me. It then would never take me more than two hours on a Monday ever to repair things.
0: And was it was it a common thing, or had you had you done something with the, with the figures to make sure that stuff no. didn't fall off?
1: No. The the key thing is when you repair is um, glue goes nowhere near it. Glue never touched the figure. Yeah. we were all soldered. Everything was soldered.
0: Ah, oh, right. I, That'll be why
1: things don't fall off, though. Again, that's what I did <laughs> learn off Doug Mason. So everything was soldered. Flights were soldered on. Everything was soldered on. No glue. Mm. Well,
2: um,
0: soldering iron wouldn't work particularly well on plastic figures. I would suggest.
1: I nope. some people do do it. <laughs> All right,
0: that'll be a very, very low solder, I suppose.
1: I'm not sure exactly how they do do it. And then again, little tricks. Doug used to use heat sinks, so you, you can stretch things so you can use heat sinks so you can stretch solder
2: oh, but that was a rule okay
1: that was a rule monday morning all the repairs go in they all get done then it's never more than two hour job yeah you never
0: never let it accumulate well yeah i could imagine with with all those figures it would um if you, if you left it one week then two hours becomes four hours becomes a day becomes uh and you'd never get on top of it would you Plus, then when you saw figures that you thought
1: were going to slightly go, say the legs of a horse, and you saw it during the during the game, you take it out, you actually redo that. I would say on average maybe anywhere between two and five repairs were required after a weekend.
0: Yeah. So in those in those seventeen years, then what were the what were the best games to run? What were the the battles that every time it was a corker? Uh, it wasn't probably the game. It's probably
1: the group of people. If you got a group of people who they're all nice it's just that when you get people not experienced you spend more time trying to make the game um go smoothly
2: mm-hmm. you get
1: people who are experienced you're able to spend more time just sat back watching how they're doing it and yeah cursing at each other jumping up and down <laughs> cheering i need another beer going well we didn't do beer at that time but then yeah that was it so.
0: yeah was it mostly groups who came then of or did, was the weeks where you would have Odd people here and there who hadn't met
1: before. As time went on, after about five years, it got split because we'd have private weekends. So when we advertised the private weekends, we went on the advert. So that mm. meant the ones that, on the advert, you could get people from private weekends even come into a one off weekend because that's what they wanted to do. Yeah. So you would have like two groups groups that didn't know each other beforehand, but might know each other when they've turned up. Oh, nice to see you again, so I'd say,
2: yeah. And then
1: groups. About well, 2009, Two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I must have had sixteen private events going on.
0: Because I think the uh, the the lads from the Leeds War Games Club that I go to were at least once, if not twice a year, would would come for a weekend. Is that and Richard, it, in this group? Richard Harris and uh, Richard Croisdale and and all those guys, and they would they would come. I think at least twice a year for a weekend. And
1: they were a novelty as well because they they like playing rapid fire. Yes, they still do. <laughs> you, you won't get me anywhere near. Rapid <laughs> it won't that... happen. The unusual thing about um, their games is when they came down, we made a point is we would never umpire them because we didn't know the rules at all. So they effectively they had to the centre, any of the figures they needed access to. We do the lunches, and the coffees and then they police themselves. Because we, we didn't know the rules.
0: Yeah. Well, do you know, Richard's got his own little War yep. games weekend thing now looks great. Um, but, so, what, uh, what, were your, what were your sort of fond memories of that time then, of those 17 years? No pressure. Mm-hmm. he has been relaxed. That's why I put so much weight on. Enjoyed it that much?
1: Yeah, and also lucky. It's the side effects of that is I mean, I was able to follow my son through all his schools, being a school governor, chair of governors at the primary school. So I, mm. I got involved in the community indirectly through actually coming down able to do the wargaming. He's doing Very, that, and it's me adding something back, if you like, to my expertise into into the skill. School, the school yeah. used to love me.
2: Brilliant.
0: Um, so, sadly, all good things come to an end. So, what was the was was it Mike sadly passing away that was kind of the end of the time at the War Games Holiday Centre? No, he'd bought you out, hadn't he, beforehand? Two the year before he died, he bought me out. So in, in running all those games in the Holiday Centre, then, obviously, you've become extremely experienced in, in running big games. You've, you've talked about some of the ways that you did that and the ways that you helped newer players and, and maybe put off the more experienced players. Um, what, what, to you were the, what to you were the key elements then of making a big game work for, for, for people? It had
1: to be exciting. And when they played it, they had to say, that was the battle of whatever I fought. get those two ingredients, right? They're going to come back.
0: And did that, did that take a lot of planning to get that to happen?
1: No, um, for me, the nice thing is when I started doing it, I'd be looking for Mike for the lead, see how Mike did things, because Mike was a very good host, Mm. um, very attentive, knew the rules back to front, very good at adjudicating and you watch, you learn, you listen after, you know, however long it took probably two years or whatever you, you're in doing it yourself and with the same level of confidence and, mm. and you, you don't look back it's like swimming once you've done it you never lose it
0: <laughs> and, and does there have to be an element of showman in
2: it
1: no
0: to keep,
2: no no
0: just, think, they
1: look to you for the guidance they say to you what do you want to do here yeah uh, one little trick they used to have was that if I was umpiring someone might say to me uh, Jerry this situation's arrived at risen in this village uh, what do we do and i would say you do this this and this.
2: Mm.
1: if mike was umpiring they might say mike there's a situation at the village what do we do this this Mm. and this and some of them used to get cute because it is true (laughs) to the sense that mike and i sometimes favored one interpretation against another interpretation
2: yeah
1: but the key thing we did is that the first thing is we we came and they said what happens here the first thing i would ask is has the ruling already been made? Oh, we never, <laughs> we never contradicted each other. Because some of them used to get quite cute. And it came a game. And it was for fun. They were doing it for fun. They, they were testing us to see whether one of us would be tempted to overrule the other one. But no, it didn't, it didn't work. That was so a yeah, few times.
0: That was a few well,
1: that's absolutely. That was brilliant. fun. That was fun. we were doing, doing it as a bit of game, And they, do, they were the experienced players. And they would Mm. turn around to the newbies
0: and say, told you, they won't contradict each other. (laughs) Oh, well, that's brilliant. Well, thanks for talking about your time at the War Games holiday center, Jerry. That was really interesting. Um, And uh, we'll have another short break uh, for everyone listening. And we'll be back in a second with our world famous quiz. If there's one thing that's going to get me into trouble, it's the Yorkshire Gamer quiz. And uh, as be, as we always have to do, we always have to put a little bit of a disclaimer at the start for people who get upset with things. And uh, this is uh, how Yorkshire Gamer you are test. None of these are right or wrong. Um, it's just a bit of a way of uh, getting some conversation going uh, very quickly over a period of time. So Jerry, these uh, these 20 questions and um, mm. they're, they're, either, they're either yes or no um or one or the other um you will uh, being from yorkshire you will notice some regional bias in some of the questions that is is not hidden at all um so there may be some clues to the right answer in some of these questions okay. um, and as i say as they say to the kids today there is no right and wrong there's just an answer so um we'll get any if you need an explanation i'll explain no problems at all so question one i think i know the answer to this one go big or go home go big go big that's what we like here on this show um as you don't paint you might not get this one so uh contrast paints are they great or a gimmick they're good if they are done correctly oh i like that i like that one um paint brushes um windsor and newton or yorkshire made pro art windsor and newton Oh, Jerry, you let me down. You live
1: in Yorkshire, lad. The, well, they say you're the one I've never come across
0: them. But are they sable? Uh, they do sable. Yeah, the the made in Skipton. The made in Skipton. Oh, them. they might be okay then. they the brilliant. I've used them for thirty odd years, mate. They're up. So never, never never heard of them. Well, uh, it's their
1: fault. If I don't get them stuck in Scarborough, then they can
0: right. I'm, I'm going to go and see them and have a chat. So <laughs> I'll I'll get you a shop in Scarborough. Right. So um... does Dave Doherty does use them? Oh, he, he uses some rat air thing, does Dave? He's, he's well, c- they Camel Air. If, if they
1: send to him and David endorses them, Dave's got a following of about fourteen thousand on the painting side.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I, I know Dave. Also, I I don't know what brushes he uses actually. I'll have to have a chat with him. He's on my list to come on the show, but um, he's not as popular as you are, Jerry. So he's not been on. He, he, I'll tell him that on Sunday. He's here. <laughs> Is he? Yeah. Bless him. Bless him. That's you getting shot. <laughs> yeah, again, again. <laughs> so, um, this, this this one's an interesting one. Ninety six figures is that an army or a unit of pike? It's neither. It's too small for a unit of pike. Too small. I'm going to give you an extra mark for that one. Um, a six by four table is that a big or a small game? Small game. You are preparing a, a game. Uh, would you use points or an historical order of battle? Historical order of battle. Oh, we're doing well there, Jerry. We're doing well. Um when you're painting, and again you, you're not a painter, so I don't know how this will go. Um you would you use a wet palette or an old bit of MDF to mix your paints on?
1: Uh old bit of MDF. Because yeah, really do one. you have to mix really do really do you have to mix palettes because if you're doing layering, you would do one color then the other. If you mix and you come to repairs, for example,
2: ah, it repairs. makes it
1: yeah. difficult it makes life difficult because you've then got to try and find the shade. If you keep it to a discrete color and rely on the shade, subtle shading, you've actually got the paint palette that you need exactly there 100% of the time.
0: Uh, good idea. Well done. Well done. Um, unfortunately, this is painted again. If you were undercoating figures, would you go black or white? Black. Oh, Excellent. Regionally biased question warning. Um, if you offered a drink, would you have Yorkshire tea or dirty mucky coffee? Yorkshire see. Oh, you see, you see, it's, it's going well. This is. We're on for. we for. A, we're halfway through. We could be on for a, a best ever score here. Um, war, game, war game. units. Um, if if it's historically accurate, do you like the figures to be tightly packed or socially distanced? Tightly packed. Tightly packed. An easy one for you. This one. Uh, two hour club game or a weekend monster game a week Monster the game which is what happens on Sunday brilliant that's what I like to hear that's what I like to hear um this is uh one of the honorary questions we have questions in honor of uh, previous guests and this one is our Nick Skinner from Two Fat Lardies question uh and this is um avocado is it just posh mushy peas no no oh you, you're in the avocado camp no like the avocado oh dear me dear me
1: um, you can do with other with avocado. Uh,
0: yeah, to, it, look, it looks like mushy peas. <laughs> Next to be telling
1: me that people who must eat mushy peas. Think guacamole is mushy peas.
0: Oh, hey, up, I've never thought of guacamole. There's, there's one. There's one. <laughs> right. This is the this is the universal question. Now, every single person so far has answered this question. Um, I'm not going to say correctly, but correctly. Um, so, and this one is round or spherical dice. Are they allowed or banned? Banned. Banned. Well done. Keeping up the 100% record. No requirement for them any, anywhere. Um, next on to our second question. In, in I also order... banned,
1: while you're there, I also yeah. banned metal sticks. Oh. It would have to be wooden sticks. Metal's banned. Is that
0: for scratching figures?
1: That's two reasons. Hey, it scratches terrain, but the only time we've ever come across people getting injured was, was, was with metal measuring sticks and tape measures, never with a wooden one.
2: Ah, right, so,
1: okay. So, we had two injuries with people using um, tape measures. One got clipped on the side of the head because the other guy had pushed it out too far, pulled a release button so it came flying back and clipped, clipped it like next to it. Oh, my word. That's why always, when if you play with me, it's always wooden measuring sticks, never a metal one in sight. Ah,
0: that's a good idea. And no tape any- measure. No tape measures. Nobody dueling with tape measures outside to decide um, our disagreements on the War Games table. But they can. But I tell them where the North Sea is, and it's not too far away. <laughs> Disag- disagreements, disagreements with tape measures. It's the way forward. Um, so this is the, the the this this is in honour of David Marshall from TM Terrain. I don't know if you know David. Um, I didn't. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, check his terrain out. It's absolutely unreal. Um, he, his, his question is, you're going down the chippy. Do you go for Haddock or Cod? Haddock. Haddock. Now, um, a lot of, a lot of war games rules these days are kind of six and you're dead. Do you like a good table and a set of rules, like a casualty table something like that, or do you prefer the modern style of rules? Uh,
1: casualty table, To a sense, I don't understand. I'm not really sure what you meant by the rubble a six and you're dead or you're alive type thing.
0: Yeah, so you, you would no. have a handful of dice and sixes and you're dead, rather than a casualty table where you have numbers of figures against die roll across the top. There's room
1: for both because you go back to Ingram Manor when you fight a cavalry melee, you roll sixes kill depending I? on the numbers and quality.
0: Sixes
2: yeah.
1: is, is good and they kill. Yeah, but if, if you like, I don't know. Do you remember the battleground series going back to me? Yes, yeah,
0: I do. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, if you go there, when he was using his original in Grand Manor, when he was fighting the guy from the defence ministry or whatever it was, mm. he was using a table for the cavalry combats. Ah,
2: ah that's interesting. He, he
1: bemoans the fact that his guard lances have rolled a three on 2d6 <laughs> and his right. opponents rolled ten on 2d6. So originally they were using a table. Right. they migrated to dice.
2: Uh,
0: all due to the guard lances losing a melee.
1: Who knows? But i use a completely different <laughs> system anyway yeah
0: well we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about that shortly but uh, that's great now you've cha- i think you might have changed your mind on this this next question um and it's a statement with a yes or no answer 28 mil is king yes or no 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 um only, only four questions to go and uh, this one is unpainted miniatures are they allowed on the table yes or no no
1: because everything's painted i have no philosophical reasons, the wives if someone wanted to and wanted yeah. to put them on and i too old to worry about that sort of stuff
0: <laughs> now this is a very important question and you, you probably don't know who I support so um, but uh, Bradford City or Leeds United Bradford City
2: oh brilliant
0: Do you want to know so, why go on because Mike was because a big he, Leeds fan
1: so was Richard Harris
0: <laughs> yes he is yeah
1: <laughs> sad lads yeah, and there's another one called Duncan Forest. Sad people. Yeah.
0: They'll yeah. get over it eventually. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's that's uh, when when Richard did this quiz, quiz. That was one of the questions that he got wrong. I mean, we knew he was going to get it wrong from the start. It was always going to happen. Always going to happen. Um, you've got to choose Yorkshire or the other place over the hill. Which one do you go for? Yorkshire. Of course. Of course. And final question. Um, Games Workshop, are they the work of the devil, yes or no? Oh, if,
1: if I can have a pendulum, it's, it's towards the devil. <laughs> towards the devil. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's not nice to say they are the devil. The thing yeah. I don't like with their marketing clout is they're ripping off young kids. The war games for fraternity are really the manufacturers they should just get themselves together and form their own little business, whatever you like. <laughs> that can recommend things to young youngsters so that they don't get ripped off by, I think, extortionate pricing.
0: Yeah, my, my lad's done a, started doing a bit of GW when he was younger. And I think he's kind of realised now that he, he's obviously seen me game and seen that the figures I bought 20 years ago are still valid for World War II or Italian Wars or whatever I'm playing. And I don't have to buy new figures every time a new set of rules comes out. The
1: other practice I will say, if this goes out, that I find abhorrent is that yeah. there are potential games put on where people have to turn up with figures from certain manufacturers to be able to play the game.
0: Yeah, I, I'm am very wary of that as well. I think um, I think it's abhorrent it,
1: to, to, yeah. to put impact that onto a, onto a younger kid if he's got mm. the for all to come up with figures, paint them. Why can't he play? Why they sends out all the wrong signals to me.
0: Exactly, and I think uh, mine or your table, Jerry. I think they'd be welcome. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So we we need our own um, international wargames figure company, and then we can <laughs> put the world <laughs> we, right. And then we can retire again, <laughs> yeah, prime
1: minister for three weeks. Then we can set all the rules for the work for wargaming.
0: Yeah, that would be perfect. That would be perfect. Well, you've done extremely well there. Um, you've got eighty percent, which is uh, one of the highest scores going. Um, and I think um, we we both have a very similar philosophy when it comes to wargaming. So I, I don't think there's there's any surprises there. Um and um I'll just have to get if you were painting, I could get you some proper Yorkshire paint brushes, you see. That would be the uh, that would that would be it. and then we're never gonna agree on avocado at the end of the day. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> it's caused some problems as that question. I do like it though. Um so I don't know if you uh, got a chance to have a think about this one. This is um this is the War Games Room 101. And uh, I don't know if you remember the T V show. Um no. No, you've not seen it. So George Orwell in 1984 had a room of horror um, called Room 101. And uh, the TV show uh, was on BBC One for quite some time. I think I think it's back on again now. And guests come on and they kind of suggest to the host something that they don't like uh, about a particular subject and uh, try and convince the host that that pet hate of theirs should be banished to the War Games tip. Um, so is there anything in your wargaming history or that's a pet peeve of yours that you think, oh, I'd love to get rid of that if I could?
1: He's, um, <laughs> he's turning up to a game and the guy opposite says, um, can I use your dice as well?
2: And oh. Saying, no. no.
1: no. I'll, and I'll say there are two reasons. First of all, I went to the expense of buying my own so you can buy your own. And certainly yeah. these are all my cheating dice, so you can't use them.
0: <laughs> so the the, the special uh, Jerry Lucky dice uh, are not leaving your hands.
1: Correct. <laughs> I did that in Vienna. I yep. was slapping, I was, it was next to me, when I, Johannes. I was slapping his hand because sometimes he was picking up my dice.
2: Oh, come on, come on, come on. <laughs>
0: i definitely yeah i definitely i can definitely put people using your dice into i can load that up on my trailer and get that down to the council tip on saturday uh because that is a that is a that is a classic one uh the guy the 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 person who doesn't turn up and then starts using your dice um and that you always end up with less dice than you started with they always disappear somewhere a
1: a youngster fair enough But a guy just turns up because he can't be bothered if he can't be bothered It's not going to be my problem, it's going
0: to remain your problem. Have you, um, have you become a dice addict? I know a number of people buy horrendous amounts of dice. We've got a guy who comes here and he's nearly up to the stage now where he needs a low loader to bring his um, his dice collection and then might use 10 in a game. Well, I've got about 600, yeah, (laughs) maybe more. (laughs) What I
1: did, um. Grandmoney is a good one to use because everyone knows grand Money. If you've got artillery fire in the battery, normally you have four guns. If you're French, six if you are Russian, mm. you have four, three guns and a howitzer. And you roll a D10. So typically, yeah. what people would do is try and find three red dice, a blue dice. So three guns, one howitzer, roll the dice mm. away you go. When you go doing big games, and they used to do it in the hotel until the hotel decided we were the wrong sort of client base, there would be 20 <laughs> players. And yeah. you really want 20 players to have their own set of dice. Hence the numbers.
2: So I have,
1: um, I use D6, D8, D10, D12s, Hmm. and they're in blue, black, red, green, and blue, and white.
0: And is there a a hierarchy of luck with those colours? No. No, you don't
1: have... Everyone prefers their own different colours. So if, for example, they might use red and black for the artillery dice, blue for the skirmisher dice, green for morale dice where a minute then.
0: I have I have I have black dice to start with, and if they don't work, I'll bring in my orange dice. And if my orange dice don't work I go purple. See I'm getting more royal as I go along. And then finally if they don't work I've got a set of gold lame dice. But even i can't tell what the numbers are on the top of them so it doesn't really matter what they are i think we're all strange dice people at the end of the day um so <laughs> thank you very much for taking part in the quiz in room 101 jerry and we'll be back in a second and we're going to talk about your current wargaming So we're back with our final section, and uh, this is normally our big topic section. But we've kind of got two two big topics with Jerry, and uh, we've talked about the War Games Holiday Centre, and um, your War Gaming's moved on from there. And uh, we're in the the Situation Room now. Um, and uh, what what was the what was the the sort of the story between the end of the War Games Holiday Centre and your, your current situation now?
1: It was just deciding what. What, what, what did I want to do? Sat down with my wife, and she said, mm. "The money's there. What should we do?" And the rest of it said, "Okay, let's see if we can raise a bit more money ourselves, and we'll do our own building. But we won't do it as a business. We'll just do it for all the people who've come, who we've known for years. Make it social. Should be more fun, more relaxed. We're doing our own thing, holding to nobody."
0: And you decided um, very early on that you were going to record this in, in in your blog. Your um situation room blog the, the full story is there you can you can see your garden you can see it being dug up and you can see everything going in what was what was the the kind of what made you decide to do that
1: it's just a way of recording it I actually started off by creating an excel file to list all of what i thought the expenditure might be and then that very quickly came into what the expenditure actually was so right. i recorded everything down even down the postage stamps yeah so I've still got the running total of everything that's spent, with whom, why. Because originally I was using it as a planning tool. And then very soon I could use it as a historical tool and do it that way. And that's where the blog came in. So I thought, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to record it. Because so I'm, I'm going to show people 28 millimeters is a great skull and the rest of it. And mm. with 10 millimeters, you can do different things. Mm. And it all has, brings in parts a different feeling to it. So, without a doubt, all of the experienced grand Manor players and twenty eights who come here, the first thing they say when they see the armies on the table is they look like proper armies because it's as if they've been taken up to two thousand feet to look down on it. They, they look like proper armies. You can see whole, you see whole corps moving to do whatever they're going to do. So that's the first thing they say.
0: Was that your first ever sort of journey into blogging and that sort of yes. thing? You'd not done it before with the holidays. Never done there. it
1: before. It was only a year ago we got a smartphone.
0: <laughs> well, I'm imp- I'm impressed at you are doing, doing the Zoom thing. Um, I had to I had to get in my car and go and visit Pete Morby because he, he couldn't he couldn't work internet links and stuff, <laughs> bless him. So, um, I went down and sat in his in his workshop and we had a little microphone between us, which, which at the end of the day it was lovely. It was great to go and see him in his workplace. Um, I'll take so- a look
1: out of him now. All <laughs> you have to do is follow the all you have to do is follow the instructions.
0: Oh yeah, well, I I I don't even know if he's got a computer. Bless him, but uh, um, it, yeah, he's got one. Yeah, but he must have frauds and stuff, must not he? Or maybe oh. somebody somebody else will do it. He'll have somebody. else. He'll have a minion who will do that for him. <laughs> so when you came to when you came to design the situation room, then what was your what was your thoughts? What was your in your mind? Did you have specific specs that you were going to work towards?
1: Initially, I thought it was going to be timber. Because I think that I thought that was the simplest and cheapest way of doing it, mm. and then there's too too many issues with that. And then I came from the idea of um, a garage. So my garage, I've forgotten Mike's one, but my actual garage, which is an old garage, is made from a company called Liggett, which is near Birmingham, I believe, Staffordshire, somewhere around there. And it, all it is is just um, sectional concrete put together. Right. Yeah. I contacted them and they said, "Yeah, we can do it." Um, I don't think they realised exactly what they were getting into in the sense of it, but anyway, um, that's it's, it's a modular, it's built modular in concrete that way. The size of it was down to the space I could fit it in the gardens because I tend to do things lawfully, so I don't break planning rules.
3: Mm. Uh,
1: I use building regs for the building check; yeah. I didn't need planning. So that's set the out sort of a footprint and then it was done properly with foundations and all this sort of stuff. So that set the size. That's how was that done. And then got it insulated. So that was done properly rather than freeze your toes off and curl your fingers. And then the next bit was the table design. I decided the first thing was um, my neighbour designed the tables. I told him what I wanted and he designed them um, for the tables, which gives me immense amount of storage. They're all based on four befores. I have a, each table is 24 foot long. Yeah. The main support straps are four before connected to a single piece of tubular steel that runs the whole length of the table. Just so happens that tubular steel comes in standard length of 24 foot 6 inches.
0: Ah, uh, that's handy.
1: <laughs> so cut the six inches off the end, and that's what you've got. And it just so happens John next door, my neighbour, who did all the work, who's in his he won't mind me saying it, he's in his mid-70s. He has all the tools, angle grinders, the welders, the lot. Mm-hmm. And there he was, 3rd of January, in there, soaring away, uh, making I'm it good. from it. Yeah. He loves doing that type of thing. So he, he made all of that uh, for the tables. So that's how the tables. And then how the terrain is done, very quickly became apparent that the, the tables are just plain green painted plain mm. green and all terrain that is to do with grass or anything like that is plain green no different colour there's no shading Yeah. Um, the only things that get shaded or dry brushed are things like roads and mm. then the villages and that's how you generate the effect you see when you get there but yeah and then also cost is a, is a thing in time so the table tops is although they're 24 foot long by 6 foot that's nice. just two pieces of MDF 12 foot by 6 foot one inch thick,
0: no, no warping issues when they're an inch thick. Not when John's finished with them, no. <laughs> Perfect. And what's the table layout in the?
1: In terms of what it's twenty-four foot by six foot, and then two, yep. 24 foot by three foot. Sorry, twenty-four foot by two foot.
0: So it's a, it's similar to the War Games Holiday Centre, and you've got like the reinforcement tables at the end. I like to call them, and then the if two main like fighting. Yeah, and then the two main fighting tables, if you like, yes. in, in, the, in the middle. And what's the gap between those? Uh, three foot. Three foot. So enough for uh, a reasonably large gentleman to get through if required.
1: And that's why it was purposely designed to do it that way. And yeah. you've seen a, a lot of people have um, steps that you stand on so you can lean further into the table. Well, one of the war gamers, Graham, Uh, he's coming again on sunday he was the template so what we did is we worked out how far he had to lean over yeah and then john my next door neighbor made the three benches that you could stand on
2: ah perfect
1: And they're they're stored outside when not in use in what we call a coffin (laughs) right i've run out of space inside have you already virtually yeah
2: Underneath,
1: underneath each table there are two layers for storage each each fully lined out with um for Ford. And one twenty-four foot by six is completely chopper block with nothing but figures. Wow. The other smaller ones, they're all terrain pieces underneath. And the other ones start to get used up. But we leave that one free so when they're taking the figures out for the game they can put the trays underneath rather than put the trays back in the slot.
2: Oh, oh everything's
1: everything stored and slotted correctly Fields, all the fields have their own slots.
0: They're all stored, so the storage is done nothing. What professionally done? It sounds absolutely superb. Um, yeah. So we, yeah, we, we talked, we talked, we've talked uh, briefly about this and around it a couple of times. But the, the ten mil decision, then, how quickly and, and how did you come to that decision? Having been twenty eight mil, very filling? quickly
1: for ten mil, simply because it was. Uh, I knew how long it took to build up the figures that were in the all- Games Holiday Centre. How could I do that in 28? And the answer is no, because first of all, I wouldn't be able to find the painters for a kickoff. Yeah. And it would be too extortionate. So that was one category. Then 10 mil, how do I do that? Uh, painters was still the main issue. Michael uh, yeah. Neil, Neil Keneally came to the rescue on that. So that's how that came about in terms of 10 mil. And then it was stuttering and about figures, so I thought, well, I want the same sort of footprint for a battalion,
2: as mm. 28.
1: Yeah. I'm going to look odd if I use the same number of 10 mil, so why don't I use more figures? <laughs> yeah. So I arbitrarily started at three times the number. It was an arbitrary number mm. to begin with. Then I realised if I did that, I could actually use proper characteristics and go to three-ranked lines. So so all of the European armies are in three-ranked lines except for the Brits, and they're in two-ranked lines. So I mm. could or immediately, I could incorporate that into it. Then I found out that within the rules, that the in terms of the firing tables, there wasn't a problem for the infantry. There was for the artillery, because I've gone gun for gun. Right. Okay. Uh, so I got that sorted out, and that was easily done. And then the biggest one initially, when we started playing games, we were using the old cavalry rules from in the Grand Manor.
2: Yeah. And
1: then we went to a different set, which is a is it, a couple of sets of rules that. That work on the basis of difference between combat ability. They separate mm. combat ability to numbers. They separate the two mm. issues out. Yeah, you could be a better quality unit, you can win the melee but still lose more men, and it divorces. So I start. I did divorce that, and I did the same on the infantry, artillery. I divorced the classes of troops with the numbers of troops. Yeah. So I have now eight classes, but you can then mix them. So you could have someone who's got an elite morale, but you could give them roster sheet for a militia battalion so they're very brittle or you can make them very poor morale but you could give them they'll keep coming back because you're giving them the boxes to go with say a guard Mm. unit but the two extremes Mm. you can actually use Mm. and it's just started slotting into place and building up and building up and building up but for example neil keneally could never have done it without him uh i was in hot to him for about nine grand at one time i think and he, his only stipulation was, because I was paying monthly, his only stipulation was that I managed the paperwork. That was it. That was it. So each month, put money into his account, send in the yeah. updated extra file. That's all he wanted. Yeah. So that was very good of him. And then a number of people invested in me. Uh, quite a lot of money between them. Mm. Herbert the Austrian, little Graham, Gordon. Uh, number of war gamers is like Paul, he's painted now 20 battalions, not mm. a penny. Some of them are just doing it because they want to play here and they want to see this keep going. But they've got the same view I've got. So I just mm. keep getting more and more figures. And they say, Oh, these. I'll paint them then, I'll paint them because they want to the
3: play.
1: <laughs> we have a good game, we have beer, we go out for a meal. Perfect. And we've got
0: Perfect. And do you have a preferred uh, figure manufacturer? Uh, Dragon for ten mil. I was going to say that's the only kind of one that I'm I'm aware of. It's a
1: nice stocky figure, that doesn't go anywhere, and I get a discount.
0: Well, we, we like a discount, we,
2: we, we
1: don't we? Well, he we, we work together. I mean, he got yeah. ripped off by one guy, but we work together. I'll say, so like the French Guard and the denard, He said, "Let's get the French Guard." And I want about I don't know French Guard. It's five thousand figures. So he does it. Because he knows it's yeah. painful. I'm, I'm paying for the design work because it's done and dusted. So that's what yeah. we've done now. Because all the big stuff's been broken, I'm doing the little stuff. So I'm now doing limbers and caissons.
2: So I've actually, oh.
1: I've actually got the French one designed and done, which he's got. And I've now just got the Prussian one back,
3: mm.
1: which he's now got. I've got the Russian one left to do. And he's got the Austrian and the Brit. Because my next megalomaniac thing is to actually do the limber scenes with the harnesses between the horses as well on on the limber i've worked out the fuse wire to do it with
0: oh well <laughs> that's gonna look oh that will look brilliant and, and do you uh, is it like a base behind the, the the laid out battery
1: what you would do you take the battery and the limber will be the size of the battery right same footprint and i say that's how i'm going to do it
0: brilliant absolutely brilliant and uh, how long did it take you to then to get a collection together, enough for, to start gaming? It was World War Two. So the first,
1: the hole was dug in the garden in August 2010, and the first game was Easter 2011. Wow. So that's... That was World, World War Two Eastern Front. Each and Everything we had, which, as it turns out, is nothing compared to what we've got now. <laughs> uh, and the first Napoleonic, I like, I think was December two thousand
0: and twelve. Go on. No, so go. You say.
1: And that was using the new rules apart from the cavalry. For the cavalry, we mm. were using the old rules. And so we, I, I picked a peninsula again because it made it mm. simpler to do that because most of it tends to be light cavalry with a sprinkling of heavies.
0: And and, and you say you you're nearly there with Napoleonics now. Have you? You've collected. Have you got enough for most of the big battles, or are you still?
1: Yeah, but it's never never stopped. And again, for, for personal reasons or something, the rest of it is now more or less certain that we'll get the Portuguese armies and Spanish armies. So there's another twenty thousand figures.
0: I suppose I think that's the problem with Napoleonic's, Is it you can once you once you've entered the room, you, you struggle to get out of it because there's just so much stuff you can get. But it's lots of lots of the
1: friends that have come. They're into it. They're either helping source the figures, mm. get the figures. I've got mm. some of them doing the research on the on, on the period, and, and some of them even painting. Collective collective effort.
0: That's what we like to say. That's, That's what we what like to say.
1: Or well, we have a great time, and it's an open yeah. door. Anyone can come along and have a pop and say we can have a look. Yeah, come and have a look.
0: Brilliant. So, what um, what rules do you use for World War Two? My rules. Your rules. Always the best ones, always the best ones.
1: Yes, they, they migrated from command decision. Where he went wrong, he, he pandered to the American market that decided that uh, rather than any level of paperwork we'll go down the route that says, I, although I've killed it, there's now saving throw. So you've gone down the route of backtracking to get, try and get rid of paperwork. I I haven't, I see nothing wrong with paperwork providing it's not reams and reams of it and providing yeah. it's done so you can put it all nicely together and it's easy to access so that's where it was sourced from. Um, then it's got my sort of view and bent on it to, to simplify it out to some extent. Things like order systems are always a problem. Now, can't, command decision, you would have things like arrows. You'd have, a, you'd have a, a chitty that you put down a unit that had a command element, full move or a half move. And if you did a half move, you could fire in two phases, a full move, one phase. But we still use a similar system, but it's, it's been streamlined over years and years and years and years of mm. fight. And it's, they're the rules that we used to use at the War Games Holiday Centre. And it's designed for fighting um, divisional size battles. Mm.
0: Yeah. Because those those Not, that order chits, um, Johnny Reb of the American Civil War system is, is one that I play that uses those chits. Um, and it's, it's quite a good way of, um, of sorting out orders and stuff, isn't it? Um, it seems to work quite well. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you have to. I mean, like in Fire and Fury, we changed the order. We actually well, We changed the order system because there's frankly, doesn't work properly. And that's why I can't say this for absolute certain, but there are certain things we did in certainly in the War Games Holiday Centre and then subsequently in the Situation Room, which I've seen migrate into updated versions of rules that have been going for a few years. So yeah. stuff that I've been using. 12 years I've suddenly seen in another adopted, set, <laughs> in, 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 but it's the same set. So, I've, without you know, I, I've, I've definitely seen that. Yeah, you're a trailbla- trailblazer
0: without, without no, not really.
1: It's just the, the key, the key advantage you get if you want to write rules is that you're not playing with the same people all the time. So, over the 17 mm. years, I had all sorts of people coming in. So, when you try different things or you use a set of rules, you saw how all these people got on with them. And yeah. you saw that even, Grandman is a good example. 80% of it's fine, not a problem. Everyone gets it. There's, but there's this bits where they're, they're not sure, they interpret it different things. So when the rules were written in 2001, all of that was brought into mm. the main fold. So that we, we actually wrote down virtually all the things at the time we could think of. Yeah, You never do think of everything, but we did. We brought together and tidied up all these things so there was no doubt as to which way you were mm. supposed to do it. For that current set of role. Um, that's what you, you, you. But you get that benefit when you see disparate people from all over the place playing roles and you see what they're doing and what they're not doing. Disadvantage when you play with a group is great, but you only get the experience from the group, and so you yeah. become like-minded with each other, and you all agree that that's the way to do it, and therefore that's how you do it.
0: So, is um, World War Two Napoleonic? Any plans to? go outside of those two periods at the moment or you, i take it it's not to go on those two no
1: that's it um no um there's a friend gordon he does 15 mil so he's got the whole gettysburg armies all painted they stored here that's had one outing so but no no plans to go elsewhere it takes too much time effort and money
0: and do you find that staying with one scale it makes terrain easier because you you're buying terrain in one scale because a napoleonic wood is a world war ii wood at the end of the day isn't it
1: yes and it means
0: yes as you say i think i've got
3: uh,
1: i think it's mkm the company but anyway the trees i've got i've got about a thousand trees and it's all from the same place he did he based them the way i wanted them which is great and easier for him hmm. uh, when i buy terrain which i don't do now because it's the guy, one guy from Birmingham, he used to do uh, low low temperature resin cast buildings, I think, but he subsequently died. Shuka, John Shuka was his name. Forgotten the company name he had. Uh, but I got a lot of buildings off him from Napoleonics, which I commissioned off him. Yeah. So, because the buildings, uh, you need the right footprint. It tends to be uh, squash the roof slightly, and it makes it look right with 10 mil. You do the same with 20 mil. So, if you go to the War Games Hobby Centre, you'll find that all the villages are 20 mil scale. Mm. But it looks okay for 28 mil figures. Yeah. When you go to a 28 mil scale building, which there are some down there, especially uh, of um, some Nini buildings, mm. there's one called On Bass, which is a copy of it. Um, it looks a diff- completely different scale when you put it on the table. So, mm. yes, but it's easier to do the scaling to keep it all at once. But I don't what, use my World War II buildings for Napoleonics. They, they don't look right. But your
0: trees and roads and stuff. Trees, roads, yeah. rivers, streams, you name it, yes. In, interchangeable, perfect. Interchangeable.
2: Yeah. You've
0: kept your blog going um, after the initial build and, you, and you, you're recording your games on there. Um, it, is it kind of one game a month or every weekend? or? Normally. Do you do?
1: No, Normally it's one a month.
0: Have you got a preference for Napoleonics or World War Two? Well, Napoleonics. still, still Napoleonics.
1: But I'll but I'll keep fitting in the odd World War Two because there's possibly one or two gamers who might prefer that. But yeah, everybody likes it. It's it's different.
0: It's a change. So just 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 before we finish off, then um, we've been going for nearly a couple of hours now, um, which is uh, normal for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we've got I've gone four hours now once so I wouldn't worry about it um so I'm just going to finish off with a couple of things for for from you as kind of um suggestions if you like um to people who are running games um and the first one is is a lot of people use points to kind of equalize a game um and we discussed earlier on that you're not really a points kind of guy, and neither am i um so how how do you deal with those one-sided battles that obviously history creates um that we like to do on the table if you're going to fight a one-sided battle because you know
1: it's a one-sided battle then mm. you either do one of two things you either leverage it some way so the game will last the amount of time it's supposed to last mm. and you just set a victory condition if the, if the side is being pummeled is still alive then they've won yeah um That's one thing you try and do. And the second thing you do is just try and make sure, if you know the players and you know their experience levels, that you don't unbalance it in any way or form. I'm trying to think of a battle off the top of my head where it's a foregone conclusion.
0: Some of the early Napoleonic ones?
2: It's not
1: the early uh, Napoleonic ones. It's where you have Napoleonic and you have Spanish. Yeah, Spanish are very very brittle.
2: Hmm.
1: So what you tend to do when you've got that, there are some players who are experienced, who mm. would want to play Spanish because it's a challenge.
2: All and, right, that yeah, works, yeah.
1: and that yeah. works out great because they know they're slightly under the cost to begin with Yeah, because it's a brittle army, mm. but it's down to their skill level and a bit of luck to try and maximise it. Mm. And then the opposing side, the French, quite often they have the quandary, well, how much do I throw against the Spanish? It's yeah. supposed to be brittle. And then they find out they don't throw enough against the Spanish. The guy who actually knows what he's doing, he's going to be the tail wagging the dog if you're not careful. (laughs) Um, You you, you mix that and then you balance it sometimes with victory conditions. But having said that, it's been my experience with the big games is that when someone says on a Sunday afternoon, who's won the game? You just say Mm. to everybody, stand back from the table. You say, look at the table. And you say, well, who's won? Yeah, and it's obvious. It is obvious who's won, Let's and you can compare it. You know, to, they like comparing it. How good a victory is it compared to what happened historically, or that type yeah. of thing?
2: Brilliant. But
1: normally you stand back and look at it and say it's obvious.
2: And finally, then, um,
0: are there any? As we said, as I said right at the start of the show, one of the reasons I started this um, podcast was to bring big games back into into. The, the public eye and there are still loads of people like yourself and, and us here and, and Richard at uh, his place doing big games but it seems to be kind of hidden in sheds throughout the country um, if somebody new to gaming wanted to get involved in big gaming what kind of things or recommendations or tips could you give them to to get into that you've
1: got to find like-minded people because unless you're lucky enough to bump into somebody who already knows somebody and let's say you're just doing yourself and this is this is a good thing about the austrians it's a good example um as i said possibly passed away but his friend france now france was telling me he met herbert in 1988 i think because they were board gamers yeah and he said it was four years or five years before herbert showed him some figures and then he saw these figures and france says, why are you pratting about on a board with little stickers <laughs> moving Yeah, well, we've got figures And then it must have been another friend, Stefan, and then I think two others, possibly a guy called Christophe and Anatol. So they got together and decided to get the figures. Then they decided to lease their own place, and that's what they did. So rather than one person having to do all of it,
2: Mm.
1: because there are are two guys in the UK, quite private individuals who have huge setups bigger than anybody else's that exist, Mm. um, and resources to match. Yeah. But I know them, so I, I potentially can get an invite to go down.
2: Yeah. So I
1: think sometimes it's like-minded people meeting together and starting off maybe with the six before, and then deciding, have I really into it? Do I have the disposable income? Do I have the time and the money with family, other commitments? And then try and go down that potential route, actually mm. hire somewhere out that you can rent so ah, I can rent this this room somewhere. So that's what Leeds you you guys do. You still do. Yeah,
2: it. yeah.
1: One of the Leeds yeah. clubs is it Pudsey. They they still rent somewhere they can go on a Saturday morning and have a, or whatever it is and have a bigger game.
0: Well, we yeah we're we're lucky. Well, lucky lucky in some ways in the Leeds club now the one that you know through richard and and um, andy mm-hmm. and all that lot who came to the club uh, who came to the holiday center is that um one of the members um, sadly passed away brian um but he left his a lot of money in his will to the club um so we've now bought a permanent um clubhouse so we can yeah. leave stuff up there all the time for for as, as long as we as long as we want which is absolutely hey, it's right.
1: getting light minded people this is through tragedy, but they might be able to get it again mm. and say, "Well, I can put in two grand, three, even if they can rent it for two years or something, and decide in that time do they want to find more money to make it more permanent, or whatever." Mm. That's the way I think for big gaming. You're gonna have to do it if you want to get it done that way.
0: Excellent. Well, I'd love to see more people get into the big side of gaming because it is, as we both know, um, by far the best. <laughs> can but the manufacturers can help themselves because if they
1: decide that they want to put on a game, uh, if they got together and said to people that oh, they know that put games on because they like doing it, well, instead of having a, a 12 by 6, can you can you have a, a 24 by 6? Yeah. Facilitate it for them at the shows to be able to put it on. And mm. then there's an incentive to use their figures, You know, all sorts of incentive. And and it's the bigger game that's going to be striking with the guy going around. saying, like, oh, ooh, look at that. Look at the size of that.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think that was one one of the things that I've mentioned before, is that I went to Northern Military, similar to yourself, and I remember walking in and seeing a huge Napoleonic game, and I would have only, you know, I would have been early teens, uh, and just pointing at it and going, that's what I want to do, that, that over there, and then not being afraid of the work that it takes to get yeah. from having an empty hand to get there.
1: When the triples is another one, but that died a death. Yeah, that's And the World Championships... Again, they've got a venue where everything's big enough. But, no, but the manufacturers don't get together to grasp it and say, because you know, it's a huge hangar. And here's a table. It's 48 foot long and it's 12 foot deep and we're doing this. Because they've got together with three guys who want to put on a demo game. They have the collections. They put it together. And then the companies say, well, we'll put you up overnight. So you, you create something that someone's going to see. And as you say, they're going to turn up and say, Crikey, I want to get involved. How do I do that? Where do I go? What do I do? Yeah. Here's my money. Here's my money. <laughs>
0: always
1: here's my money.
0: Always here's my money. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, Jerry. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Um, I always end uh, I, I always end by say, asking the uh, the guests to ask me a question if they've got one. You don't have to. I haven't really got one. Oh, that's no problem at all. Can I go home? That's usually the one that I get. <laughs>
1: <laughs> i think i'm Which, gonna have to get a beer now
0: oh brilliant well it's been it's an it's absolute a minute off four o'clock it is it is it must be beer time i'm gonna it's get I'm, a, gonna, I'm gonna get the pringles and a beer oh i don't blame you mate well um oh, it's been I, inter- I, can, I can
1: now happily because my wife and she retired on monday so that's open. oh did she oh um, well,
0: wish her the wish her the best from me then that's fantastic yeah, 40 years in the nhs oh well deserves beer that definitely deserves a beer yeah, goes back part-time <laughs> in march Oh well, there we go. There we go. Some 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 people enjoy the the care inside of it, don't they? So yeah, and if you get
1: down here, you're gonna to have to pop in. I mean, you must get down this part of the world to do something.
0: Yeah, I I work in North Yorkshire, so I've probably been past the end of your driveway a few times. Well, you know where it is, don't you? Uh, roughly, yeah, I can vaguely remember. Hope to, yeah, yeah,
2: Hope to, yeah.
1: yeah. Call
0: yeah. In. I that that would be
1: lovely. Thank you very much for that. No problem whatsoever, and thanks for well, having me
0: hey no it's been it's been an absolute joy and um you, like, as i said at the start you, you're kind of one of the the war games big game people who are I really really wanting to get on this show so i'm so glad that you've done it so uh, if you just want to say if you want to say good night to everyone Jerry, good night everyone thanks for listening i'm i'm glad i behaved myself no
1: swear words quite unusual for me
0: it's quite unusual oh. for this show as well so <laughs> <laughs> thanks Jerry. good night everyone Thanks very much, Jerry, for spending the time to talk to me. It was a lovely interview. Um, I haven't seen Jerry for 20 odd years, so that was uh, it was great to have a catch up with him and uh, see how things have progressed since um, he left the War Games Holiday Centre and what a cracking setup he's got now. Um, if you haven't had a look at Jerry's website, I urge you to do so. Uh, the Situation Room. I will put a link to the website in both the show notes on Podbean and also on uh, the YouTube version when that comes out. So check that out. Have a look at what Jerry's up to today. Um, It really is big wargaming. um, Really well done. I know he's been... um, having a game for the last week with uh, lots of uh, guys whose uh, names you might may recognise from from this podcast and previous ones. And uh, I think they've had a fantastic week looking at the pictures. And uh, I look forward to getting some more big game names on here in the future. Names that you've heard on here, people like Doug Mason, uh, Andy Cube with his uh, sent over in Vienna Dave Doherty they're all names on my list and uh, hopefully we'll uh, get some more of those on the show in the future Next episode, um, out hopefully second or third uh, Friday in March, uh, will be with Simon Miller. And uh, many of you will know Simon. He is a big game proponent and uh, he's got some fantastic sets of figures. Uh, he's been involved with Mark Freeth with a few uh, things down at the war games holiday center with uh, lots of big ancient uh, stuff and uh, he was at partisan last year with uh, a big and i mean big because they were about 60 or 70 mil figures um he did an ancient game uh, there he's uh, best known as a rule writer with uh, things like to the strongest and uh, he's working on sets for the renaissance i believe so that's going to be a- another lovely chat i'm looking forward to that talking to simon uh, next month so until then um fingers crossed for the uh awards for the caesars uh which are in late march so we'll probably get another episode in before the results come out uh, but fingers crossed for that it's uh judged by a panel i believe um so uh there's, there's, there's no opportunity to vote for me in that but to uh, do bob along to the caesars awards website uh, there's an opportunity to um vote for the best uh youtube channel uh, best overall channel and uh, our friend from bruising the vineyard alex Southern from storm of steel on there so i'm not gonna try and sway your vote in any way shape or form but just go down and vote for alex will you uh, that'd be brilliant so um me and Alex will be representing Yorkshire in the Caesar Awards, um, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll do very well. Well, Alex will anyway. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, I'll see you in a month's time. See thee.